right, if you've got your Bibles, you might like to grab them out. I've got a uh, hopefully brief but hopefully important message for us. Continuing on this same theme that we picked up a couple of weeks ago for those who were here, the title, if you like, of our current journey that week and the next few weeks is simply this, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel. There's one message that we need to grab a hold of. There's one message that we need to proclaim. We need to press in for while, as Mayer was saying before, while there's still opportunity, still ears to hear, grabbing a hold of it with every breath that we have, proclaiming the greatness of the gospel. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 1, 16, and I was thinking again just by way of review. It's, it just is amazing, isn't it, how much noise there is out there and how much conflicting noise. I was reading this one particular article. We've talked a lot this year about the fires and you know, all, all that has happened in our nation as a result of that. And other things for me like this whole coronavirus has uh, been ticking away in the background. I haven't really clicked into many of the articles. There's been enough other things to worry me and zap my attention from where it needs to be. And there's one article that was talking about how all the numbers could be grossly exaggerated and really you know, virtually the end of the world. It's the new apocalypse. And then right down the bottom of the article, it, it sort of finished with, oh, but it might not even be any worse than standard flu season. And, and I look at that and there's, there's this cacophony of noise, isn't there? And you don't know what to believe and what's going on anywhere. And I actually had to at one point last week, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do something radical. I'm going to turn off my news feed. You ever done that? Just, just for a few moments of sanity. I didn't realize how much of a headache it was giving me just trying to listen to all the noise. But it's for that very reason that I am so thankful for his word. In an age where there is information and misinformation and all of these conflicting narratives. We have truth. We have life. We have this very thing that feeds us and it sustains us and it's able to lead us and guide us. And this is where we anchor ourselves into the scriptures. Can we just pray? Haven't done that yet. I've done a lot of praying, but not for this time. So Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that we'd, we'd never take for granted the privilege and the priority there is for us personally and as we gather to grab a hold of your word, to hear it proclaimed with passion and purpose and to allow it to really take root in our hearts. Pray that we would be soil, Lord, that brings forth a harvest as your word and your truth is planted deep within us for the glory of your name. King Jesus, have your way afresh, we pray. We're here for you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, amen and amen. So let's go. Romans chapter 1. We're heading for verse 16. That's kind of the key verse. And just to bring us up to speed for those who weren't there, to remind us for those who were a couple of weeks ago when we began on this particular journey. Romans is this fascinating book that Paul really expounds his understanding of the gospel. That's what it is, the gospel. And Rome, of course, was not a place that Paul had visited before. He's writing to 
a people to encourage them, but not a people that he knew. A lot of his letters were to other people or churches that he knew personally. He had instructed them, he'd given them wisdom, and he writes to oftentimes address specific issues or highlight certain things of importance to them. Perhaps that's the reason why with Romans he's not been there. So he wants to make sure that they get the full breadth, the full width. They're not shortchanged on any level with this reality and this panorama and this picture and this presentation of the gospel. And indeed, that's how he begins. He opens up. He says, this is my mission. This is who I am. He introduces himself. And we looked at both verse 14 and 15 last time as he says, I am compelled. I'm literally under obligation. This, this is my mission. But not only is it my mission, he says in verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel. So it's my mission, but it's my, it's my eagerness. It's my urgency. It's my joy to come to you with this one message in mind, and that is to preach the gospel. That's what he says up front. He says, this is my aim as I come. You don't know me. I don't know you. Perhaps you've not heard my teachings, but let, let me make it clear that as I come, I come with this one sole purpose in mind. I come to proclaim the gospel. So we talked about that clarity and that urgency and if only our hearts could continue to be stirred with such a, a clarity both of the mission but also with that urgency and that need and that joy and that desire how will people know the good news if there's not someone willing to step into the schools to step out of our comfort zone in our friendship circles to reach out to our neighbors how will they hear the good news if we're not willing to heed Paul's clarity and his urgency to preach the gospel. And he makes it clear. He says here, I'm preaching the gospel for, for this particular reason, not because it's going to be the most entertaining message that I can ever possibly think of, not because it's going to give you good strategies of how to live better, not because of any other reason. He says, this is... The reason, this is the underlying motivation because in the gospel, he says, this is verse 16, it is the power of God. He says, this is where the power lies. And that word power there, we, you know, we often talk about the power of God. Yeah, dunamis or dynamos, depending on what pronunciation you would prefer. The power of God lies in the proclamation and the preaching of the gospel. And I was thinking about this. Um, we touched on this a bit last time. But it seems to me as you read Paul's writings, not just here, but also as he instructs particularly Timothy, Titus, and other portions of Scripture as well, there's, there is this priority upon the proclamation of the gospel. Like that's... That's why I'm here, he says to Timothy. That's why you're there. Certainly you're there to instruct and encourage and edify. But primarily, you're there 
to preach, and that word there is actually to herald. And the picture is someone who, you know, in that particular time and year and time, times gone by, you'd have a herald who would come to a city and they'd come with a bell and they'd make a, a big noise. And, and their sole mission in coming into that particular area was to be a, a herald, a, a proclaimer, a, a preacher of the good news. And as I look at Let's be honest, as I look at my own preaching, as I look at the preaching that I see around us in Christian churches, is there times where perhaps the preaching has been more of a a coaching, an entertainment, an encouragement or an exhortation than actually a proclamation of the gospel? Now, I'm not saying at all that sermons can't be entertaining, they can't be encouraging. I think they should. But is there still a place in our preaching that this priority that you see Paul so often present of the proclamation of the gospel? And let's move it beyond preachers because that's a little uncomfortable for me. What about for the rest of us? Do we understand this call above all other things? We talk about loving our neighbours and caring for the sick and that's all important, that's good, that's, that's wonderful. But is there that priority and even that recognition that we are heralders? We are people called to herald the good news. What a a privilege that is that God would give to us his gospel. He could have proclaimed it anyway. He could have said, here's how it's going to work from now on. You guys have made too many mistakes. I'm going to send the angels. They'll ride it on the sky. There'll be all these other... Methods and means, he says, no, no, I'm going to commission my followers to go all through the world and bring the good news of the gospel. So that's why in this little moment, a few weeks as we begin another year, I would want to ask us and ensure that amongst everything that we say, that right there front and center is the gospel. That amongst everything that we love and treasure, we, we, we want God to do amazing things. We talk about it in our midst, in our city, in our nation. To use the oft used expression, there is no greater miracle, is there, than seeing a sinner raised to life again. Now, miracles are wonderful, all the wonderful programs, and you know, seeing. Marriages transformed is wonderful. They're all good things, but there's nothing that even comes close. It says that, Jesus says this in a parable, he says, it's just one sinner comes home. All of heaven is celebrating. It's the greatest party you've ever seen. If that's for one sinner, imagine when all of us enter through those pearly gates. It's going to be wild, you know? You know, sitting down in seats, that will be celebration moment because that's the heart of a father who gave everything he had to rescue and redeem those that he loved. Amongst everything we say, there's the gospel. Amongst everything that we love and treasure, there's the gospel. Amongst everything we press in for, may it always be front and center to see the gospel proclaimed to see sinners raised to life again. So let's just jump into this verse. That was kind of the the opening message. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I come with a a clarity and an urgency to preach the gospel. So the title of that message was, 
The message matters. It really matters. It really matters what we're preaching. And I want to go on to the second part of this verse now. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says, for it is the power. And again, whose power is this message? Is it the power of us? Is it the power of a good preacher? Is it the power of a righteous person who by the works of the law can achieve some sort of status? No, he says, here's the secret to that power. It is the power of God. It's the power of God. Okay, well, the power of God for what purpose? Is it the power of God to help us live better lives? It's a message that's often proclaimed to love our wives and children better, to live better lives, to live with more purpose. And certainly, again, many of those things are good, but there's something in the gospel that we never want to overlook. We never want to belittle. He says, here is the power, not just for a better life, not just so you can be a better version of yourself. That's what everyone in the world is trying to do. The gospel is completely different because he says it's the power of God for what? For unto salvation. The power of God to salvation to who? To everyone who believes. Isn't that the most wonderful phrase in the whole passage? Not to everybody who can earn it. Not to everybody who can prove that somehow they're worthy to achieve a certain status. Not to the wise and educated. Now there's, there is no, it's, it's such a, you know, a tragedy at times that Christianity is presented as this, this exclusive religion. It is exclusive in the sense that there's only one way to the Father. But it is the most inclusive religion, worldview, philosophy faith system because it is open for everybody doesn't matter of your background doesn't matter of your past doesn't matter of your sins and mistakes for every single person young old man woman child who would put their faith in him that's it that's it there's no jump no hoops to jump through there's no obstacles to overcome this glorious power of the gospel. A God who would save. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And if we have the time, we'll see. Not, not today, don't worry. But I'd love to go and look at the, the redemption, salvation history throughout scriptures. How do the old and new covenants work together? How do the, the Jews and the Gentiles work together? How does that all feed into this plan of salvation and the gospel. It's a great message, I promise. We may get there. We'll see how we go. So for this morning, here's, here's my encouragement, is the gospel, we talked about the message that matters, and the gospel here today, it's the power of God unto salvation. It's God's power for salvation. It just is. The center of this whole thing is simply this, that Jesus saves he does that's why he came not to give us encouragement not just to pat pat us on the back and give us a good moral example and say well just follow me and you're going to be okay no really i'm just here to give you a few tips of how you can do it all better because sadly often that's how we live but the gospel is something far more deeper far more profound but ultimately far more wonderful far more glorious than we will ever comprehend. 
even for the ages to come, Ephesians says, will be in awe, in wonder at this glorious gospel of a God who came to save. So having a chat this week with um, Dennis, who uh, I know comes up frequently at the moment. We're on you know, nearly daily chats, and Dennis is the owner of the new building that we're purchasing and moving into. He popped over this week to give me a key. So we have a key to the building, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that before. We've got money in the bank. We've got the key to the building. Talking with the builder next week, so it's all heading along well. And actually, he, uh, this isn't the point of telling that story, but he, he said, oh, I've just got a, you know, a great testimony, just of kind of the strange way that God works at times. He said, remember how we had that massive hailstorm? Who remembers that? It was like an eternity ago in the midst of everything else we've had, but obviously Canberra got hit by this big hailstorm and the building down the road uh, where he was at the time. And he, he's finished up, by the way. They... Um, ceased trading at the end of last year, but he still had some stock and bits and pieces left in the building. He said, funny thing was, all the, the hail filled the gutter as it did, and of course we had some leaking water in the building, and the carpet was, was ruined, and some of the stock and other bits and pieces, which of course, initially he's like, oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> um, and something that I'd mentioned before is that Dennis, who's been great to deal with, he's a lovely Christian guy, very generously offered to pay for us the removal of a particular tank that ACT planning had uh, insisted that was removed before we can formally move in and occupy the building. And you know, things are never quite as simple as we explain that whole saga and then, you know, to remove the tank it needed some underground sonography work of all things because no one could map out where it was and needed form formal DA permission. I didn't know whether he was regretting at that point having put up his hand to cover the costs because they seemed to be mounting and mounting. But he said to me, here's the funny thing, you know, we, we committed to that and I committed to pay for it and obviously when I, you know, called up to to talk to the insurance company about the damage that was done and all the old stock that he couldn't get rid of. He said, look, we don't want new for old replacement. I don't want any more stock. I don't want any more carpets. Let's just agree to a cash payment. He said, you wouldn't believe it, but the cash payment that the insurance company looks like they'll pay me out for that is nearly to the dollar exactly what he had offered to pay for the tank removal. Isn't that cool? Just the way God orchestrates things. And I was encouraged, even in the midst of... We're talking about even when I can't see you moving and it's a bit hard, isn't it, when there's fires and floods and hailstorms and just that encouragement. You know, he's a God who's able to work in the midst of those things and turn them around for the good and the glory of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Anyway, in, in the midst of all that, he was saying that the sign that they have out the front, you might recognize it as you drive past, particularly at night, you can't miss it. It's this bright lit up sign that has these neon bulbs currently what well, it did say south side lighting but of course with the hailstorm he said the the cover and the frames all still there but all the bulbs are smashed and he said do you want me to leave the signage there like what are your plans for signage and we haven't really thought about that much as a church particularly that neon sign but i said well leave it there leave it there you know we, we might as well look at seeing whether we could put something on there but i said to him as I said, we haven't given it much thought, but I said, you know, if we were going to have one neon sign, obviously we want some signage on the building that says Vision, Vision Christian Fellowship, Vision Church, like this is who we are, this is where we are. Uh, but I said, if there was one neon sign that we were going to present, and it's right on the highway, so you get all of the, the traffic that comes down the Monaro and Canberra Ave, 
And I was just thinking aloud on the phone. I'm like, you know, I'd, I'd put something like Jesus or Jesus saves. Like, I, I wouldn't put kind of this is us, this is all about vision. Jesus saves. Just kind of saying like that. And he was like, oh, it's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's not something you hear very often these days, is it? Putting that sort of thing out the front of a church. But it got me thinking on this whole thing of, you know, it's, it's very easy for us as churches to have kind of slogans and sayings to put something in lights. This is what we are all about. And there would have been an era and a time where every church, they would have had something there about Jesus saves. This is the gospel. Raised from death to life. <laughs> and when, I was talking about this with Ali during the week, and, and she's like, oh, do you remember we were in Foster a couple of years ago? We were driving through the, um, one of the main drags of Foster, and there was a, a church there, part of a, one of the major traditional denominations, and they had this bold notice board. She said, do you remember what it said? And I was like, oh, that's right. I vaguely recall it, but it was something along the lines of, if life gets you down, then just start breathing in rainbows. That, that's what it said. And, and I, I saw the sign, we were driving past, and I was like, did you, did you see that sign? And I sort of did a little vomit inside my mouth and <laughs> wondered if I could drive across the nature strip and just run it down. But we, we use our notice boards to put different things in light, don't we? There's churches that are known for putting bold political statements. Other churches that put everything under the sun, you know, find home here, this is the place where life happens. These can be all the slogans of churches. And again, I'm not saying they're all bad. I've got nothing against rainbows. And all I'm saying is that you know, where is this? What, what are we putting in lights? Where is this desire as a church for us to just boldly proclaim the gospel that Jesus saves? That's why he came. And what, what a... Just what a, like it, it did actually grieve my heart. I thought, what a mockery we make of the gospel when all we reduce it to is political slogans, rainbows and fairy floss, yeah. and whatever we can do to live a better life. Like, what, a, what, what must God think as he looks down? Surely he's thinking, you know, is there just a people who could grab a hold of the power of the true? gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we really recognize and remember that we have a Savior? A Savior who not just saves us from futility and purposelessness, and not just helps us to love ourselves better, He's not just a good example, but a Savior who paid the price on a cross. He hung there and He bled and died to save us from our sins. One quote that is, is often used in this particular area, a great quote by a gentleman who was widely considered one of the most important Christian theological ethicists in the 20th century American environment. He wrote this in 1937 about the gospel that was proclaimed at that particular time. This is nearly 100 years ago. He called it the liberal social gospel. He said, here is the problem. We're proclaiming a God without wrath, who brings men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through a Christ without a cross. 
What sort of a gospel are we preaching and proclaiming? So here's, here's my concern is that, and you can try this, this is your little homework assignment this week. Go and ask people, start off with maybe people in your neighborhood, your workplace, ask them this question. What is it that separates Christianity from every other worldview and religion? I've tried that many times, and it's interesting that most people, I'm talking outside Christian faith here, cannot give you any concrete definition. Well, they say, I'm pretty sure they're all the same. I mean, they all have religious figures, they've all got duties and things you need to do and subscribe to. It's, it's basically the same. You know, it's this way you work towards getting to God. If you're good enough, you get in the door. If you're not, you miss out. And then after you ask people who aren't in the church, maybe ask some of your friends, not in this church because, of course, we're very biblically educated here. We know the truth of the gospel. You can test the other churches around. But I've found that even within the church, May was talking about the biblical illiteracy that there is in schools, and there is. I think we forget that even at times within the church, we can't really articulate. Well, what is the difference between this gospel we believe? Is, is it... Is it just really the same? There's a different figure in the middle, maybe some different hurdles you've got to jump through, but ultimately it's the same kind of general theme and vibe and God will help those who help themselves and you know, kind of give them a kick along and a good example and just some tips and strategies to live a better life. If you're good enough, you make it. If you're not good enough, you don't make it. See, the reality is that Christianity is actually, if you think about it, nearly the exact opposite of every other religious worldview. Even a secular worldview. All these views talk about what we need to do. These are all the things that we need to do. Christianity boldly proclaims what God has done. All these other views talk about how we need to get closer to God. Christianity proclaims all that God has done to break every single barrier to get through to us. And I think in some ways Paul is writing to a culture with some similarities. The Roman culture at the time, they were very tolerant, they were very inclusive. The, there's the Roman pantheon of gods. If you found a new one, fantastic, just add it into the mix. That helps you. Great, if it doesn't, find another one, just kind of pile them on top. Whatever works. Whatever works for you, it's private, individualized faith. Religion's kind of just this crutch that, you know, will help you along a little bit, help you get to where you're going, and you can lean on it in your tough times. Just find something that works. And that's, I believe, why Paul comes with such a passion to say, guys, I have an urgency and I have a mission to break through that facade, to preach the glorious gospel. And we don't even have time this morning to unpack it, but he gives us in the next three verses the greatest problem that man can face that we can never solve, the problem of sin, the problem of unrighteousness. And as he unpacks that, he then prevent, presents us with the greatest provision that man could never earn could never achieve the atonement of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ poured out upon the cross.
Let's get the worship team up here. That was only the introduction, but we've run out of time, so it's turning into a 20-part series. But here's, here's what I think is so important for us as we think of this message of the gospel, as we explore it, as we allow that to become a recalibrating moment in our midst and in our lives. It's so easy for church, for the things that we do to become this place where we're gathered to try and somehow earn the favor of God. We're jumping through religious duties, we're trying to adhere to certain commands, we're trying to somehow drum up a noise to get God to listen. Whereas I want to encourage us that as we see the beauty of the gospel, it's actually the exact opposite. It's not the place that we come to perform. It's the place that we come as broken people to drink from the fountain of life. Where we discover something so good and so satisfying that we just cannot help but invite others. So filled up that it just yeah. flows over. See, that is the salvation that we bask in every time we're here. And I want you just to close your eyes. Because I, I don't know what sort of picture you have of God. Maybe you do have a picture that I talked about earlier where God's distant where he's there somewhere, but he doesn't really care personally for you. Maybe you have a picture of, of God who, well, he's there, but he's more of an angry judge. It's kind of this, this wrath of God that's revealed against unrighteousness, as Paul talks about, almost really not even wanting us to get over the line, kind of with some disappointment. Oh, there's another one who made it, drats. When I get to pour my wrath out on that person, I need to find someone else. And I want to give you, just as we conclude, another picture of a God, a Father of passionate love. Father that Jesus describes. He said, "This. let me tell you about my Father. This is who He is. He's that one who, as the prodigal, even as He turns, even as He's far off, even when there's just that indication that He's coming back home, He's the father who throws off his robe. He says, dignity's gone in the wind. All I care about is that one that I love. And he runs towards them. Even before the words are, are out of his prodigal son's mouth, the father sinned. Before he can get through the sentence, he throws his robe around him. What a picture. Filth and all. He's covered there in his stench and his mud and gunk, his sin. He stinks. The father throws his robe around him. says, I'll cover you. It's okay. It's never been about your righteousness. It's about the righteousness that I'm giving to you. Puts a ring on his finger. He says, you're mine. This is your identity now. 
You are mine, purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You belong to me. You know, there's nothing more wonderful than this gospel that we get to enjoy. It's my prayer that as we conclude, you just let that wash over you afresh. Let it grab a hold of you. Let it awaken you to the greatness of His goodness. Because when you've tasted that, there's nothing you want more than to invite others. You've, you've got to taste this. You've got to know what it is to have this God who just, He ran to meet me and He covered me. He put His ring on His finger. He celebrated me. I'm His. I'm praying for a, a holy jealousy, a world that would be so jealous of the, the grace and the salvation that we have. They're peeking in saying, we, we need some of that. Not just, oh, who wants that? Religious activity and the works and the people in there are miserable than out here. A people so awakened and so aware of the glorious gospel. That is the power of God unto salvation. And I just want to pray, you know, if there is anyone here this morning and you are far away, you're estranged, maybe that you were close once, for whatever reason you've wandered away, maybe even this morning that you've never known what it is to be embraced by the arms of your heavenly Father and embrace made possible by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that washes your sins away. You know, it would give me no greater pleasure this morning than simply praying with you and taking that step from death to life, from darkness to light. It's no greater miracle all of heaven's waiting to celebrate. So if that's you this morning, I'd invite you to come forward. Come and see me. I want to pray with you. If there are other prayer needs that you have this morning, we have a prayer team, and I'll just invite the prayer team to come up now. We have a prayer team that would love to just pray with you about anything that the Lord might be stirring in your hearts, anything you need to confess and get right, any ways in which you just need breakthrough, need to know the nearness of God, whatever it might be. He is here. He's moving in our midst. So don't feel like you've got to wash away, or rush away. Just allow His grace to wash over you this morning. And if you know you need to get right this morning, if you know that you need prayer in any area of your life, then now's the time to come. Just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Come, Holy Spirit, and wash over us. This day we pray. Remind us of who you are and what you've done. We ask that in Jesus' name.